Welcome to Real Talk with Christina and Libby. In this podcast, we're going to talk about faith unfiltered from a lens outside of the shiny, happy people. We're excited to have you joining us, and we can't wait for you to hear today's episode. Real Talk, girl, sometimes I feel like Job. Oh, gosh, why? You know that's that scene, wow, that scene, <laughs> that verse or those chapters in the Bible where Job's friends come to hang out with him while he's suffering and they basically ask him, like, what did you do wrong? What did you do that caused God's grief or God's anger to be on you? What did you do to deserve this type of punishment? I feel like that happens to me all the time. Just today, someone asked me, what is the lesson God's trying to teach you that you are not listening to or not learning that's making him not move in your life? And I just felt oh. like I, I told I told that person, I said, if I have to act like I have to guess around what God's doing in my life yeah. and I have to guess around what he's trying to strategize, I'm going to become an atheist because I don't want to worship a God that does that to me. Yeah, well, it's interesting. God actually speaks up in Job against his friends and says that he's angry with them because they have not spoken the truth about him. And it's so cool to me that God goes for us and and for himself he'll be like absolutely not that's not who i am no i will tell you what i'm trying to teach you let me pour life into you don't listen to them and i think that's the point of our podcast is to be able to come up with these topics that we have in our day-to-day life where people put us down in the most outrageous ways like are you kidding me god's not trying to like make you guess what he's teaching you he's not a he's not like here's a ma- here's a thousand piece puzzle figure it out yeah seriously <laughs> like, he's like no here's a one piece maybe three piece puzzle that you just put the butterfly in the butterfly spot like he's gonna make <laughs> it very known i'm like lord my spiritual iq might be like forrest gump level so i'm going to need Girl, you, you to- in that movie <laughs> I love that movie. But um, yeah, no, totally. I think that's that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is to have these types of conversations. And so yeah. that's something that we've been doing with Lamentations. And today we're going to break down Lamentations part two, right? Yeah, last week we talked about the elements of lamenting, turning, complaining, asking, and trusting. We also talked about our experience with two kinds of lamentation, grief and helplessness or hopelessness. Today we're going to talk about lamenting over heartbreak. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. And sin. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not perfect? What? Well, I actually am, but you will cover that, that chapter very <laughs> yes. well. This week uh, we're going to talk about my sin and heartbreak <laughs> and God. Next week, the full hour-long special will be your sin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I won't show up. <laughs> so, as with all of our episodes, obviously, the goal is to have a conversation about what the Bible says on a topic. So, in mm-hmm. this case, it's lamenting. We really want to take away all of the superfluous context that the world or church or religious culture adds in, right? And so the world gives you this idea of a soft and gushy God who's just like, I love you. It's okay. And then religious culture tells you of a God that you have to stay in line for yeah. or else you're going to get in trouble. And the yeah. truth is that God is, is a lot more varied than any of us could ever comprehend. And the closest way to understand that is not through the words of others, but through his word. Yeah. And so... We are excited to dive into to heartbreak and, um, and only heartbreak. And we're not going to be discussing <laughs> sin today. No, we're excited to dive into heartbreak and sin. Well, we're also going to cover that God laments for us, which I think is just a perfect characterization of who he is. You know, if he was just the God of the Old Testament, he would be too much truth and justice. And 
if he was just in the New Testament, he'd be too much love. With both together, we have the perfect balance of truth and love. With Jesus, it's changed the game, and God realized that. That's That was his ultimate lamenting, right? Like, I hate that the world is like this. Here's Jesus. Yeah. Right? So we'll talk, we'll talk about that later, and that's just, it comforts me to know that he also feels this way, too. Well, he grieves. He gets angry. I, what is that? Um, I can't remember when it was. I think it was right before Noah the time of Noah and the flood mm-hmm. where he goes, I wish that I had never made these people. Yeah. He was so mad. And it's like, that's, you know, I feel bad for him. And I feel yeah. bad for me. I'm like, oh, please be gentle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I had a late night conversation with my husband once where we were talking about like, don't cancel us because I don't actually believe this, but we were talking about flat earth. And if that ever could be even a possibility. <laughs> and I was like, well, think about what if God had like, a construction zone room like a man cave and it was like five different maps and he tried this with all of us and we're the ones that needed Jesus and we're the ones who failed and we're the ones who killed his son so like, I'm in the we're in the darkest timeline yeah um, <laughs> is that biblical no should we get back on topic yes <laughs> sometimes it's fun to you know kind of trip out on these yeah it was like 2 a.m and I was like what if there's multiple Earths in the same experiment? And he was like, whoa. And I was oh, like, yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I like de- defined infinity one time. <laughs> and then I tried to explain it to people. And people were like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I figured it out. And, and yeah, so, it was very know. basic math. <laughs> <laughs> I told it to you and you were like, congratulations on just now getting there. Yeah. I was like, cool, thanks. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit about lamenting and heartbreak. I, we talked, when we talked about this time, this, this outline, and we talked about what we we're going to be discussing, you said, I've got some really good stories for heartbreak. So I am like anxiously excited to hear. Well, you've already heard all of them, but you're going to hear them again. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, of course, being the teen mom, I bet nobody's surprised that my heartbreak was because of boys, <laughs> but um, in high school, my Teen first... Teen mom or not homegirl, everyone's heartbreak well, is because true. of boys. Most people's well, first heartbreak every girl, yeah, or is because of a boy. Girl. Some girls, most girls. Anyway, I digress. Please continue with your story. Anyways, my first boyfriend I ever had, he... We dated for like a year and a half or something, um, which was a long time for like 8th and ninth grade. That was forever. Which, time out, you guys, because I have to tell you a really funny story. Oh my gosh. Libby dated this guy in, in ninth grade, and... Um, this guy and I dated right out of college, the same guy. And she got my sloppy seconds. I remember, <laughs> I remember when he started pursuing me, I told my mom, because Libby and I were not on great terms at the time, and I said, I will never date Libby's leftovers. And then I dated her she leftovers, sure and he was 10 times worse, and he broke my heart too. Yeah, so, so both of our heartbreak <laughs> stories start with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I dated him, and you know, I was confident. For the most part, until probably eighth, ninth. Girls shattered my confidence a little bit in sixth grade, but I was still pretty confident. Eighth grade, ninth grade, I felt good. Yeah. I liked myself. And I had this boyfriend, and I was like, okay, I'm obviously, like, likable. This is fun. And you dated him in his only cute era of his life, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, I beg different. <laughs> um, I don't think he was ever cute. But that is besides the point. He told me one day, we got in an argument, and he literally said the world would be a better place without you in it. And I was just like, 
I, as an empath, could never, ever, 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 ever say that to somebody. Because what if they did something about it, right? I, w- I would die. If, if I, my words caused somebody to harm themselves, I would die. Yeah. And so for me, that was like shattering. Totally. And I think we still dated. <laughs> I just kind of like tried to brush it under the rug because I thought maybe this is how it's supposed to go. Like, maybe they're just mean. But he was on the football team and his football friends would make fun of me in the locker room and he would come and tell me about it and I'd be like, well, what did you say? And he said, well, I just like laughed it off. And I was like, (laughs) okay, well, if you're my boyfriend, aren't you supposed to stand up for me? So I went on this agenda of trying to find validation in boys and my friends at church never really understood my complex emotions because they were very... Hadn't gone through anything yet. And so I started finding him and guys who would tell me that I was attractive and who found me interesting. And most of them wouldn't be seen with me in public, which was weird and embarrassing. But also still it fulfilled something in me that was like fine, but it just kind of broke my heart. And then it ended, it ended up with me in, you know, Arkansas with Kaplan and... Um, he, uh, that's Liam's biological father. He's great. We're on great terms now, but was definitely a hard part of my life for a minute there. And when we broke up, I remember I was so heartbroken thinking Liam's not going to have a dad, but I knew it was right. So that heartbreak was harder in different ways because it was, you know, needed. Yeah. But right after Liam, I dated somebody who my parents did not love that much at all. And, but I dated him a couple times in high school and I was just infatuated with this guy and he told me he was in love with me and that he wanted to adopt Liam and then literally one day he sat me down and he was like I need to be honest with you and we were like six months into our relationship meanwhile had been best friends for like eight years Mm -hmm. so like it wasn't like some new six months of actually dating was more like eight years compiled into six months because we had that right yeah and so he sat me down And he was like, actually, I love you like a sister, not a girlfriend. I was like, what? And I just, that was like my first grown-up breakup that I was like, this sucks because now my kid is in love with you. Like, my kid loves you. That was his favorite person on the planet. And so we just continued to like kind of date without dating. And uh, one day my mom... um, was like, look, I'll pay for Christian Mingle. Just get on Christian Mingle. 36 hours later, I had, you know, contacted my now husband. We'd made a plan for a first date. We got married. Okay. So all this heartbreak, I was like, you know, I really, after that breakup, I really turned my life to the Lord, which I had been too. He was going to church with me. Like it wasn't like it was a bad, super bad relationship, but I had really pursued him. And I was like, God, I just want a husband. And I got one. And I was like, oh, Okay, I did it. Heartbreak, check. Boyfriends, check. I'm done. I have a husband. Everything's going to be so good. Childhood trauma. Like, my sweet, sweet husband, he had so much trauma that he didn't even know he had. And so the first three years of our marriage were heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak for me because I grew up with a vision of marriage that was stable and constant and unwavering. I mean, your parents had something really special. They did. They were also older when they got married. Right. Right. You were how old when you married Isaac? Mm, 
22. Okay, so he was 27. 23, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, 27, 28. I don't know. We're six years apart, so he was late 20s. I was early 20s. And we were were younger, but I was like, look, I have the example. I know what is supposed to be done. I mean, I am a handful. So (laughs) I know that a lot of our problems were also my fault, which I'll touch on in sin because... Poor Isaac has a lot to deal with. However, his baggage was meeting with my trauma. It was clashing. It was clashing so hard. And there were things like the fact that my dad cooked. Well, his mom was the one that cooked. So I figured he would cook for us. He figured I would cook for us. And these unmet expectations, we'd be in this up and down roller coaster of despising each other. And having these huge blow up fights. And I mean, I don't think I've ever been more brokenhearted than I have inside my marriage. Yeah, I believe it. Cause it's supposed to be this place of total safety. Yeah. And then you're feeling like you're on the war path. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, he is, sorry, <laughs> just kidding. It's supposed to be this way, but he's my best friend. Like yeah. now, well, three aside, years ago. Aside from me, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I literally like in times of trauma, text Christina and Isaac pretty much in the same second. Like, Copy, paste, send. Like, but it's okay. it should be that Isaac goes first. Yeah. That's the natural... When two become one flesh, like that is the natural design. Sure. So imagine my surprise when two become one flesh and... And it's totally unsafe. Yeah, it's totally unsafe. And like there were days where I felt like, do I hate him? Like, yeah. what am I doing here? Um, this hurts me more than any girl in junior high or any boy in high school ever hurt me. I have never felt so low about myself. And now we're in a great relationship. But I remember lamenting harder than I ever had. Yeah. In my marriage. You know, I like would just beg God to show me why I was there. Why am I married? What is the point of this? I don't understand it. Why do I have to stick around for it? This feels a little bit abusive. It probably was a little bit abusive emotionally. Um... And there was some spiritual abuse. And so that was like, okay, God, am I crazy? Like, what is happening? And please, I do not, my husband listens to this and I don't want him to be like, wow, she's really bashing me because I'm not. He has become. He's a wonderful man. He is amazing. And the the crazy part is that God can redeem anything. And he was still a wonderful man. He was. Because at the end of it, he was, I'm, it would take him a little bit longer than it does now. But eventually he'd be like, I'm sorry, I didn't want to hurt you. What could I do next time? Yeah. And he actually improved, which made me be like, okay, he's not a narcissist. He's not crazy. This man is worth sticking around because I knew his heart, right? Yeah. Like when we were dating, I truly knew his heart. I knew who he was. And he's so got a be, heart of gold. He does. And when we would be fighting in these horrible fights, like, I mean, I've thrown my wedding rings at him. I have run away from him. He has run away from me. We have been so rude to each other and in those moments he still had that same heart and I knew he had that heart so I knew it was worth sticking around for and now six years into marriage I am so glad I stuck around for it I would never want to do life with anybody else yeah but man it's I I have a playlist on my phone that is literally called the struggle and it is I realized today when I was listening to it on the way here that is literally just one big lament. It yeah. starts out turning to God, praising him for who he is, and then it complains. There's the the struggle by um, 10th Avenue 
North? Avenue North, yeah. 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 And then Warren, which is literally limiting. Yeah. And then... Um, asking for support. Asking. Yeah, like, help me. Show me what's going on. And then trusting. There's a song that's called You Are More. And I would just sing that over, like, we are more than this. I am more than this. You are more than this. Help me through it. And so, you know, oh, there was so much that I, I just remember screaming to him. Like, I can't do this without you, God. Oh, yeah. This hurts a lot. I totally know what you mean. I, there were times when I would, I remember leaving a Bible study at this church. So when I dated the guy, <laughs> our ex, when I dated our ex, <laughs> best friend, share everything. Okay. Um, <laughs> even when you shouldn't, apparently. <laughs> and so when I dated our ex, it was, he, he was still a really a bad, he had turned into a bad man. And he um, was very emotionally abusive and unfaithful and I had gotten him a job at a church that I had gone to a big church and um, I went to the church after about a year and I told them everything that had happened because I knew that this man was like leading children and that it was an un an unsafe it could be a potentially unsafe environment and it just took me a year I struggled and labor labored over should I be going should I be having these conversations like should I just leave it alone and then I ultimately like found the biblical model where it's like you confront sin with that person and if that doesn't work you confront sin with one other person if that doesn't work you go to the church and I had confronted sin with him and I confronted sin with him and his mother and then I had confronted I chose to confront the sin with him with the church and they did nothing Mm. they did nothing it was a big church they they it it i did not see where they did anything it seemed like they swept everything under the rug never heard sure. back nothing ever changed she continued to work there and i remember coming home from a bible study at that church where i had vented about like anonymously vented about the situation and the women in the bible study were just really disconnected at best gaslighty at worst and they were just Uh-oh. like they were just like kind of blaming me a little bit for it. It was a little bit of mm-hmm. like, how could you still, I still loved this man. I wanted it to work out. I believed the Lord was going to heal things. I believed that, that this man was going to become repentant. I believed that his heart was good. And, um, they were like, you're a fool for waiting around and you just need to like, God's not telling you anything. And, while I, in hindsight, they were probably right. Mm-hmm. There's a much gentler way yeah, to navigate really that. Yeah, when you've got a 23-year-old who's having a breakdown. And I remember driving to this new neighborhood across from where I live, where my parents live, and scream crying in the car. Like, mm-hmm. scream, like ru- rubbing my voice raw. Mm-hmm. Like, screaming and screaming and screaming. Um, mm-hmm. Just so angry. Screaming at God. Screaming at the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just... I'll never forget that night because it was just the rawest thing. And, and I remember screaming at God, just take the mercy kill. Why don't you? I yeah. just want out. I just want out. And so that heartbreak is just, in my opinion, the worst type of grief or lamenting because it, oh man, you can just feel it. It's tangible. Yeah. It's tangible. It took so long to get over that. I mean, like 23 years old, slicing my arms open with razor blades in the bathroom because I just wanted to feel something that wasn't inside my chest. Yeah. That's not normal. No, I was having panic attacks in yeah. my marriage. And I was like, who am I? Why is this happening? I My brain literally couldn't compute why things are happening. Heartbreak becomes a mental health crisis. No, it for sure does. And, and you just start going, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. Someone needs to... 
someone needs to commit me somewhere yeah. because like I'm just like I'm not safe to myself I feel like I might not be safe to people I feel like reality has totally shifted and I don't understand and the truth is like that's in my opinion just totally the attacks of the devil yeah. but it can be so hard when you're in it to yeah. not break free of that and it For becomes sure. so personal and you're just like I'm crazy oh I felt like I was nuts oh yeah me and too. I was convinced of it because yeah. of our conversations and because you know I'd go to counseling and I hear one thing and then he would quote it a different way and I was like did I even hear it right yeah like, what's happening I'm so confused and I think that the enemy this just kind of like came to me right now but like looking back hindsight you see things more clearly and the enemy had such a hold over me on my view on men and relationships for my formative years yeah like high school junior high straight after high school as a single mom that men were bad or what that that I they had this power over me and that like that's what I always struggled with. That you whether it was break their spell. Yeah. Whatever it whenever it was like maybe I had um, you know sexual immorality problems or I was a, almost addicted to like getting their attention or whatever. He wanted to see if he could do it to my marriage. He was like, let me mess up your marriage mm-hmm. because you're probably not worthy of it. And I feel like Maybe, and this is what it feels like right now, in this exact moment, like, God allowed him to test what I was really going to do. I love that. Was I really going to stick around for this hard thing? Because marriage is hard. Yeah. I think people glamorize it. Yeah. It looks so easy. Yes. And to be honest with you, when you learn how your partner accepts love and shows love, and five love languages are great, um, when you learn that and you learn their personality and you learn who they are deeply it becomes a lot easier yeah we are better than ever more than not sometimes we have days but it's sometimes it was like every weekend like friday would hit and we'd fight till sunday and then monday we'd go through the motions friday would hit we'd fight till sunday it was like never ending it was awful and then i'd pretend everything was fine monday through friday and it wasn't. And now it's like once a month, maybe we have a big fight. One t- recently, once he was like, I maybe was like staring at him like I was a little bit mad um, on purpose, which was not, maybe that was a little bit manipulative. But I was frustrated with him and I didn't want to argue about it because we were at his dad's house. And so I just like looked at him kind of grumpy and he literally got up and was like, we need to speak. And I was like, oh God, here we go. I have screwed it like for a fight and he was like I didn't mean to hurt you how can we make this better because I don't want to do this with you and I was like okay three three four years ago that would never have happened like God is real and moving and Satan didn't win my marriage yeah Satan didn't get to have a say over my marriage we won with God you broke some major chains too because I I think about I think a lot about generational chains right Mm -hmm. and you talk about your generational chains in terms of teen pregnancy yeah. Right. Um, and your story behind that and your biological mother and, and all of that. And, mm-hmm. and I think that you broke some chains there for your future children in terms of like male validation, in yeah. terms of like a healthy dynamic, even though you're the parents who raised you had an incredibly healthy dynamic. There's right. still that biological curse yeah. that I very much believe in. Right. For me, my dad's side of the family has 
some pretty significant like mental health issues. Yeah. And um, in terms of just anger issues, um, a little bit of paranoia, like different mm-hmm. things that can just really fuel this this cycle that um, can make things, anything engagement really hard. And my dad's like the only one who doesn't really have it um, of his siblings. But um, I definitely struggle with it, with that anger, with that. My dad had some of the anger, but like the anger, the paranoia, the, you know, and I have watched one of my uncles and my father really turn to the Lord and really break those chains in a way that has been biblical and godly and amazing. And and I just think that that's something you're doing that the, like the Lord has done for you through your marriage that has been incredible. Does that make sense? And that's yeah. total detour. So I guess we should probably dive no, into. <laughs> I have a great leeway. A segue? Let's yeah. hear it. Let's hear so, it. So um, you were talking to me earlier and I'll let you explain a little bit more of the context on this. But as we move from heartbreak to sin, there's a verse, a story about lamenting. In Are you talking about Jeremiah? The Jeremiah? Yeah. Yeah. It says, A voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Mm-hmm. And you can give more context to that. But that is a lament from heartbreak and from sin. Yeah. Totally. And it's a, it's a, um, the context in which it's used, it's reiterated in Matthew. And the context behind that is, um, Herod has chosen to execute all of the little boys in Bethlehem because he's seeking out the Messiah. Right. Right. And they have the Lord, the the angel comes to Joseph and Mary and and tells them to go to Egypt. And so they do, they, they avoid it. But, um, that voice is re quoted there. And it's, I, I read it, I guess it was from Got Questions, because that's like my favorite resource in the world. Yeah, um, it's a good place to start. It's really good. They they broke that down, and they said, well, what does this mean? Well, Rachel was one of Jacob's wives. Jacob had Leah and Rachel, and he had two other wives, apparently. I just found that out today. That yeah, I, don't know, I don't think they're like very notable in history, but... Right, the story doesn't matter with them. Rachel had Joseph, think like the coat of many colors, Joseph, and then Benjamin, and she died in childbirth to Benjamin. And all of Jacob's 12 or 13 children represent the tribes of Israel. Um, and so I think he had 13, but it represents the 12 tribes because Joseph didn't get a tribe, um, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And so... In the context of the the original quote in Jeremiah, it's a lament of sin as the Israelites are being sent into Babylonian exile. So they have, Jeremiah was the prophet who showed up and was like, bad things are going to happen. You guys are going to go into exile. And it's all because of like the false idols they were worshiping. There was a significant split between the tribes in Israel. There were, there's a lot of idolatry, a lot of war, right. a lot of really awful things happening. God sends them into Babylon for exile, and that's where we get the book of Daniel, right? Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think, also come from the Babylonian era. Not 100% sure there, but but that's their Rachel. They have to walk past Rachel's bones because Rachel was Jacob buried her on the road to where they were going. And so, as these Israelites are moving into exile in Babylon, they are there's this analogy for like Rachel is weeping for her children, right? She refuses yeah. to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And then that verse is requoted in Matthew when Herod is going on his execution, like his total genocidal rampage. Right. And um it's quoted and the context that got questions gave is that it's not just a passage of grief, but it's also a passage of hope. Um, and hope in the idea that, that Jesus was coming, that Jesus was here, 
that his right. ministry was about to begin and that he, the, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world was finally here to save us. Yeah. And so that, that there was an end to that hopelessness. There was an end to that sin and the suffering of that sin. There was an end yeah. to that grief and heartbreak. And I just thought that was such a beautiful dual meaning because I think that when you grieve sin, when you lament sin, when you lament anything, grief, hopelessness, sin, heartbreak, right? Like knowing that God is lamenting with you and knowing that there is hope at the end of the story, it, it encaps the pain. I've always said that I truly believe I could experience almost any type of pain if I knew there was a finite end to it. Right. And I think the difficulty with these kinds of pain is that you don't know. Right. Or at least the devil convinces you that you don't know. Sure. This is infinite. This is going to go on forever. Christina, you have an MBA, $100,000 in school debt, and you're never going to get a job, you total loser. You're going to be a mooch off mommy and daddy forever. And you're never going to get married, and you're never going to have a life, and you're never going to have any kids, and you're going to be gross and old and disgusting, and no one's ever going to want you, and then you're going to kill yourself because you're going to be so depressed. That's what the devil tells me all the time. And having to end cap it and be like, you don't get to have a say here. You don't get to tell me what's the end of the story is going to be. And I know that your time is coming to an end. And the time of this pain is coming to an end. That hopefulness. I read that verse and it just like filled me with life. Like even in that grief, there is hope for the ending. And I just think that's something we don't talk about enough like there is hope in the midst of the grief and it doesn't change the grief and it doesn't change that you're crying about the grief no one is saying hey Rachel chill out Jesus is here they are validating her pain they are validating the pain of a nation and recognizing that in that pain there is hope and in that pain there is joy yeah totally I think that's a great point I but it's hard it's so hard to get to that point of like you don't have a say here Satan but I mean, that is sometimes all it takes is like speaking truth. So Joyce Meyer, who I know is sometimes a, a lot of people are like, oh, prosperity doctrine, whatever. The, my exposure to Joyce Meyer has been through her battlefield of the mind Bible study. Okay. My exposure to Joyce Meyer has only been good things. So take Joyce Meyer for whatever you believe her to be. She's got a Bible study called battlefield of the mind. And it talks about taking every thought captive. Yes. It talks about breaking down that mental stronghold that the devil has over you in a time of crisis. Yeah. And it's a really good read. It's actually something that I've been thinking about revisiting. You probably should because you I, have those kinds of thoughts. Yeah, my intrusive thoughts are pretty um, scary in case anyone... I didn't mean to like quote them over the microphone for everyone to hear, but here we are. <laughs> no, I mean, that's real talk. So <laughs> no, let me just clarify though, because moving from heartbreak to sin... There are par- parallels there. Obviously, um, sin can be the cause of heartbreak, right? Yeah. But it's not always. It is not always. Because in this passage right here, in, in Jeremiah, how the Israelites are handling it, that is because of sin. Yeah. Right? That is why she's weeping. Because of sin. In, um, but there's John, also... Where was it? it? So it's in... Oh, gosh. I didn't even put the context down. I think it's Matthew? in Mark. I think it's Mark 5. I'll, I'll have to... Anyways, I'll have to look. But anyway, there's in the New Testament when he references in the it, gospel, yeah, he talks about the fact that they're weeping over the children, right? Oh, who you're actually yeah. passed, right? And so there have been people I've heard, like for me, when we were trying for a baby, we I got into all sorts of circles, and people would be like, "Well, you had a miscarriage because you didn't have enough faith." 
Oh or gosh. you had a miscarriage because what what sin are you not letting go of? And it's like that does not connect. In no way is that biblical. In no way is that factual. Your sin and your faith has nothing to do with the days God has numbered for your pregnancies, for your children, for your spouses, for you, for your family members, nobody. There is nothing that you can do to change that outcome. Okay, so on that note, I have a story from John 9 that really sticks oh, with me. Okay, that I think is um, really applicable to what you're saying, right? So it's the story of the blind man. And as, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples questioned him Rabbi, who sinned? Hmm. This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the Jesus then spits in the ground, made some mud from the saliva. He puts the mud on the guy's eyes. He tells him to wash in this pool of siloam, which means scent. Um, and the man washed his eyes and came back not blind. But I think like the, my favorite part of that story is that Jesus is like, no one sinned. Like this is so that I can be, so the Lord can be glorified. So the father can be glorified. Right. And so I think that, um, that's an important stipulation that we want to define before we dive into the lamenting over sin, because we don't want to be the place where you come feeling condemned and trying to guess around what you possibly could have done the Lord loves you and the Lord will convict you. Yeah, you don't have to guess it Yeah, at all. And I think that's an important thing. You, now you do need to work on humbling your heart and being ready and ripe to receive. Right. But you do not have to spend your time guessing and phantom apologizing. I remember right. there was one time I phantom apologized to everyone. I'd be like, I didn't really like you very much in college and I just want to apologize for how I felt about you. I would send people messages and say that. Because oh I was gosh. like freaking out that like I had to do something. And it's just like, okay, cool. Maybe that was, maybe that was good, but that didn't make God move in my life. You know? No, I didn't. No. So anyway, back to lamenting because of sin. Yeah. Tell us your story. Um, well, because of my marriage problems and my past, my biggest struggle with sin after Liam, I broke all of the like sexual sin, right? Like all of that. That's good. Broke it, did some very drastic things, deleted all the guys' numbers on my phones, blocked everybody on Facebook. Like, I did a lot of things to work on that. Captive every thought, all the things. My new sin (laughs) is overthinking and anxiety because I worry about everything and I overthink literally every word. And I think part of it... I'm literally going to play that song by Whitney Houston. Because that's literally every woman's struggle. Yes. It's like, oh God. It's like, I totally relate to that. No, but like I can be crippled. Like I will, my husband will like look at me and not look happy. And I'm like, clearly I didn't lay out his clothes correctly (laughs) or I didn't make the right food. And then I have this like crazy thought in my head that I did something wrong. And it's called walking on eggshells. Yes. And I did. And I do a lot. And, or I constantly asking well, what's wrong what's wrong are you okay are you okay and he's like stop like I will tell you if something's wrong and so I really struggle with that yeah and it's hard no I get that why do you think that's a sin because it's not trusting one what my husband says which is what I'm supposed to do he's the head right yeah so I should follow his lead and because that's not 
I am listening to lies of Satan. Yeah. That's a sin. When I give Satan power over my mind. So how would you tie that back to lamenting? Oh, girl. I literally... There's some nights where I will just beg God, like, please quiet my thoughts. Yeah. Because they are too much for me to bear right now. Do you ever grieve the, the trajectory they've had over your marriage? Yeah. And, like, the ways they've changed things, the ways they've changed relationships. Because sometimes yeah. I grieve wasted time. Yeah. You know? I wish my first three years were, like, dancing in the kitchen. And I don't think anybody's first three years are like that. I don't think anybody's, like, singing karaoke as they cook a beef stroganoff and watch a Christmas movie. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but, like, I wanted to do all these things. There were this perfect image of marriage that I had, and it was just way different. And so I hate that I allowed a lot of my overthinking and my emotional instability to probably make that longer than it needed to be which it needed to be because now we're better but anyways I still struggle with that and it's like come on God has shown me what a great heart he has why can't I just trust the Lord that he's the right man for me yeah and why can't I just trust the Lord that when my husband says something he means it right I find that I grieve and lament my inability to trust but I also still have an inability to trust yeah same it's so frustrating because I'll be like man maybe that wouldn't have happened in my life if I had listened more if I you know like trusted the Lord more and trusted the path and then um I'm like oh I'm so stressed out I can't trust the Lord I can't trust his path and so I just think that it's it's so interesting to me to be lamenting actively something that happened in your past and still like stuck Yes. And unable to fix it and not knowing, like, how can I fix it? There's there's this church in Austin that I used to go to that I love. It's called the Austin Stone. And there's a pastor there named Tyler David. And he's, like, the main pastor for the downtown campus. He's amazing. And one of the things, the stories he told a few years ago that I loved is he talked about how he feels like some sins in his life, God just helps him leaps and bounds recovery from right just leaps and bounds just crazy night and day in terms of what you were struggling with versus like for my for me my journey with alcohol like the minute the lord convicted me like this is on a fast track this is a fast track to becoming an addiction like you need to stop now or else you're gonna have a problem in 10 years i was like i'm done like i wouldn't and i was able to like reintroduce it in a more moderate way but like i have not felt convicted like of my approach to alcohol since because the lord just like handled it for me before it could even become a thing right that's amazing miraculous yeah but then tyler david talks about how there are some things that you feel like you baby step your way through your whole Mm -hmm. life your whole life you're baby stepping through the sin and for me god that's pride and i just feel like i'm inching along inching along and it's like pride is the root of all evil yeah i'm like couldn't it have been something else Does it have to be the big, the big kahuna, you know, does it have to be the big one? But I just, I lament the stronghold pride has had on my life. I lament the consequences of the sin. I lament the way that I treat people and speak to people and behave about myself because of this inherent pride struggle. And one of my friends listened to this podcast and he called me and he said, Christina, I don't know what you're talking about. You seem humble and approachable. And I said, thank you so much. I am doing a very good job at being deceptive you know I just you know you should talk to my best friend no, I'm just kidding <laughs> let me introduce you to Libby she will tell you all about what a piece of your soul <laughs> but I just you know but it is great to be self-aware <laughs> <laughs> it's so 
that. I lament that sin. I lament that stronghold. I lament seeing sin take over other people's lives. Like in the situation of the ex-boyfriend that we both share, he cheated on me. It was horrible. The, the result of that sin was long and painful and there was anguish. Mm-hmm. And I lamented this sin that, that caused me to suffer and caused him to suffer. I lamented, I lamented the hold that sexual addiction had on his life. I lamented the way it affected me and my self-worth and my yeah. mental sanity. Like there, there is sin is prevalent and outstretched and painful. And it is one of those things that you just, you grieve whether it comes from you or it happens to you. Girl, I grieved to that breakup with you. I remember when you first- Called you crying all the time. Moved to Austin and you were going through it fresh and my husband was out of, well, not out of state, West Texas. Yeah. Basically out of state and, and we would just talk and I like remember crying out to the Lord being like, rescue her she is so broken lost yeah it was horrible yeah it was horrible not good but it's over now and i'm the better for it so i'm super grateful about that but it just reminds me of like having empathy for people who are experiencing sin whether they caused it or they are the victim of it yeah um well he 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 heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds yeah says psalm you know he he will and it's great because God laments for us. Like you were saying earlier how God regretted making mankind, basically. Well, that's not really lamenting for us. It's more like lamenting us. <laughs> right. Why did I do this? Yeah. <laughs> this was Big a mistake. Move. What's that quote from uh, Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts is like, oh, you work on commission, right? Big mistake. Big, huge. Have you seen that movie? Yes, I love yeah. that part. Okay. That part is so good. Yeah, it's, that's how he is. No, he laments that... You know, sin has entered the world. He laments that because of our sin, we have pain and childbirth. He laments yeah. that we have death, we have cancer, we have things because everything bad that happens in the world is a consequence of sin. One time I had somebody explain to me sin this way and it has helped me see things a lot different. Sin, with a capital S, is the disease that we have. It is the moment we turned our back on God. Mm-hmm. Lowercase s, sins, cheating, stealing, not trusting, pride, those those are symptoms of the bigger problem. Right. It is all one thing to God and he hates that we have to go through that because there's all these symptoms that come with it, right? Because we have sin, we have diseases. Because there is sin, we have death. It didn't have to be like this. No, it didn't. And he hates it. And it's just like, I can't he wait to- He hates it so much he sent his son to rectify it. Yes. I don't think I would do that. No, I know I wouldn't do that. Are you kidding? Yeah. If someone was like, send Liam to save X, Y, and Z, you'd be like, sorry. (laughs) Bye. Yeah. Well, the other day we were at a movie and for some reason we were both paranoid about these teenagers that were wearing (laughs) hoods at a movie theater. And I I literally looked over at her and I was like, if there's something that happens, my children need a mom. And I will... (laughs) Be like, goodbye, <laughs> and I will sprint away. Because Screaming, I'm sorry. As you I'm run. sorry, I love you. Goodbye. I'll see you on the next live. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not going to do, absolutely not. But God was like, you know what? Yes, you can have my son because you need it. And I hate this for you. And now when the Jews. And I love you. Yes. I love you more than anything. He loved the, old, the people of the Old Testament. He loved them. And he wanted to set them apart. But mankind couldn't live up to all of the things. Yeah. He, we needed a new way. You know, and so he sent Jesus and now we have this way that is so loving and kind and merciful that if we accept him, 
now we can meet with him. And he's like, okay, my people can come to me better now because that justifies. Obviously God created the world. Of course he's going to need justification. Of course he's going to want, you know, justice to happen. Yeah. But now we have a son. Like, thank God we don't live back then. Like when we had to do all of these things to be considered righteous. And now, you know, thank thanks to Jesus, we can have salvation. Yeah, I think the point of a pre-Jesus guideline, right, was to show the desperation yeah, and to show how much we needed a Savior. And I think there's a lot of redemption in stories like David. I mean, David had a war-torn home. Mm-hmm. His children went after each other and killed each other mm-hmm. and raped their sisters. I mean, it was really a bad situation. David stole a man's wife, had multiple wives and concubines, and yet David was still considered a man after God's own heart. So even the Old Testament God had a great deal of mercy. Yeah. And I just, when you think about that level of mercy, and then you're just like, wow, how much more to send his son? He must really grieve with us and lament with us and lament for us. And I just, I find that to be so beautiful. I think that we're running up on time. We had a very, very passionate session today. Um, We're so glad you guys listened. We want to leave you with a verse. Um, This verse has really encouraged me as I've suffered. There's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I just, I think that's incredible. The world, the burden of the world, the burden of sin, the burden of heartbreak, the burden of grief and helplessness and hopelessness, it is heavy. It is a heavy load. We were not designed by God to carry it. Not alone. Not, he's, he, we're designed to give it to him to carry yeah. it for us. And, and he promises that he will give you rest if you come to him. And it's not about what you have to do. It's not about, um, you know, if your parents sinned or if you sinned. Yeah. Uh, it's not about any action or any lesson you have to guess that he's trying to teach you. It's just about coming to him. Yeah. I remember... Um, that one time, I think I told this story. I had this dog that was sick and he wouldn't poop. I think I told this at the yeah, first podcast. And the Lord um, led me, the Holy Spirit interceded with me and led me in the prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. And the dog was instantly cured and I was crying over dog poop. But <laughs> I think that that is the point here is like asking the Lord, coming to him and asking him for rest Telling him that you believe and letting him carry the burden of your unbelief. He will do that for you. You don't have to approach the throne perfect. He doesn't expect anything from you except to come. No, and he wants to hear your complaints. He wants to hear what's going on. He longs for you. He he knows your thoughts. You might as well tell him. Yeah. What did we say last week? That the the only thing you're neglecting when you choose to hide your thoughts from the Lord is you're neglecting the ability to have a conversation with him. Yeah. I mean, as a mom, I think about it. If my son is in college and he's going through a breakup or something, I want every single detail. I want to know everything that's going on with him. And if I love my son that much, imagine how God feels. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We have just had the best time talking to you about these heavy subjects. We promise to lighten it up next week. I have begged Libby for us to have an episode on the Barbie movie. She keeps telling me no. We'll see if we can find a way to work it into next week's episode. I think I might cave. We might. We <laughs> might cave. So we'll see. We, we don't even know exactly yet what we're going to be talking about. But when we do, we'll post on social media. You'll be the first to know. Our handles are time to real talk. Time, the number two, real talk. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, y'all.